0: If you have your Bible with you, please turn to John chapter 15. We're going to be in verses 1 and 2 today. Teenagers, I'm so glad you're here with us. You guys been having a good weekend? It's good. I'm glad you're hanging with us. Got a youth retreat going on this weekend, and took about the leaders took about 40 teenagers down to Edmonds yesterday. Your brave leaders, praying for you too. I've been there, and uh, you teenagers are are brave for going with some of those those drivers too. Just kidding. In the passage we're looking at, it's, uh, it's Jesus' last night on earth, and he's eating his last meal with his disciples in Jerusalem. He's up in this upper room with 11 of them at this point, and the, the, the vibe in the room is, is kind of one of uncertainty and fear on the part of the disciples. They're scared that Jesus is leaving them, and uh, he's been with them for three years, and he has given them the responsibility now of taking the gospel, his good news, to the ends of the earth, and they feel extremely ill-equipped for such a big task like this, and, and they were ill-equipped in and of themselves, which is why Jesus promises to send the Holy Spirit to them when he returns to heaven, and had they been left to their own devices, the disciples wouldn't have been able to do anything to advance Jesus' kingdom on earth. But because the Holy Spirit came to them in this new unprecedented way at Pentecost, uh, they had uh, God's power. The disciples had God's power working in them so that they could really love one another and remember Jesus' words that he'd spoken and so that they could preach and so they could work miracles and so that they could write the letters that would be the New Testament and so that they could serve others sacrificially just as Jesus had served them. But the disciples had to stay connected to Jesus. They had to stay connected through the Holy Spirit in order to do anything of spiritual value. And the same is true for us. We have to stay connected to Jesus. We have to stay connected to him through the Spirit in order to love God, in order to love the world in a way that glorifies God. And in today's passage, Jesus says to us that staying closely connected to him is a non-negotiable for true Christians. It's it's only through staying close to Christ that we experience fellowship with him and that we produce God-honoring fruit in our lives. That's the word that he's going to use here, fruit. So before we look at this, let's ask Jesus to help us with his word. Lord, we thank you, Jesus, uh, for giving us this word in our language, your Bible We believe you're alive right now. We know that you're in control of our lives and we thank you that you love us and um, we thank you that we can be in fellowship with you today and with one another and we thank you that this word you've given us, you tell us, sanctifies us, it purifies us. So we ask that you would use this word in the power of your spirit today in each of our hearts and our minds and our attitudes. Please examine us today. Please give life to those in here who are spiritually dead. Please prune those of us who are alive so that we can grow stronger in you, so that we can bear more of your fruit in our lives. We pray that you would protect us now from Satan and from any evil force that would try to take our hearts and minds off of you. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So, we're going to be in John 15 for a few weeks. I started this week with high expectations of getting through eight verses, and I made, made it through two. And so, there's too much stuff in here. We're not going to skip over it. So, let's start just by looking at John 15, 1. Jesus says this, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Okay. Now, in the gospel, according to John, Jesus makes... Seven huge statements about himself. And he begins each statement with this phrase, I am. Now remember that I am, those words, that was the title that God gave to himself in Exodus chapter three. Moses is like, who are you, God? And he says, I am. I am who I am. And So when Jesus uses this phrase, I am, what he's doing is he's claiming to be God. He's claiming to be the same God that has always existed, the God of the Israelites, the God who brought everything into being. And when Jesus said the words, I am, the Jews were obviously terribly offended by him because in their eyes, he was committing blasphemy because he was claiming to be God. And this is one of the main reasons why they had Jesus killed. With each of his I am statements, Jesus also uses a metaphor. He says, I am blank. I am, and he uses a metaphor to describe how he as God is everything that we humans need to enjoy the life that God wants for us now and forever. And so far in John's gospel, Jesus has used these metaphors about himself. He said, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door of the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way and the truth and the life. And now, in today's passage, Jesus says, I am the true vine. The vine metaphor is something the disciples would have been familiar with since there were lots of vineyards in Palestine and in the following verses Jesus is going to explain how the grapevine illustrates the way the believers are spiritually connected to him and how he is spiritually connected to believers but first i want you to see that it's significant that Jesus says i am the true vine he doesn't say i am the vine jesus says i am the true vine So as the true vine, Jesus is distinguishing himself from other vines that are fake vines. Specifically, the nation of Israel is referred to as a vine several times in the Old Testament. In Psalm 80, Israel is called the vine that God brought out of Egypt and cleared the way for and He planted him in the ground. But the problem with the vine of Israel that God has all throughout the Old Testament, is that this vine doesn't do the very thing God created it to do. To live in him and to bear his fruit. So God judges the vine, and he punishes that vine. But here in John 15:1, Jesus says, I am the true vine. I am the vine that Israel could never be. And I've come to grow widely. I've come to advance On the earth, my kingdom, I've come to grow many branches that bear fruit that is glorifying to God. Jesus is the true vine. He's the living vine. He's the eternal vine. And if we want to live in truth, if we want to live life in eternity, then we need to be united to him, the true vine. There are many vines in our world. There are a lot of vines that promise to be the true vine or they promise to be true vines for us. There there are many vines in our world that promise to give us what we need but only Jesus truly delivers on the promise. You were created to be healthy and fruitful in relationship with God and Jesus says he is the vine that you need to be connected to in order to do that. Because only he has the life-giving power and strength of God and health of God that can produce spiritual fruit and eternal life in you. There are a lot of vines in our life that are good, but they aren't the true vine. Your family is not the true vine. Your family might be great, but your family cannot be for you everything that you need physically and spiritually. Your friends your team at school, it's, it's not the true vine. You, you might have some good friends, but your friends can't give you what you need most, which is peace with God and life with God. Only Jesus can do that. Your hobbies, your entertainment, they're not the true vine. They can't give you the spiritual life and vitality that you really need. Only Jesus can do that. Your race is not the true vine, Your nation is not the true vine. Being connected to America, being an American is not what you need most. Jesus is what you need most. Only Jesus is the true vine. He's the one vine that we really need. Jesus says that he is the true vine and his father is the vine dresser. Now, he's not talking about his earthly father, Joseph, here. He's talking about God the Father. So, there's one God in three persons. We call this the Trinity, right? The Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit make up God. And here Jesus says that God the Father, in this metaphor, is the vine dresser, he is the gardener. And he says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Okay, so think about a vine. Jesus is the vine. God is the vine dresser or the gardener who cares for the vine. And the branches of the vine are people who claim to be Jesus' followers. So Jesus then puts the branches into two categories. These these people who claim to be his followers, he puts them in two categories. Branches that don't bear fruit and branches that do bear fruit. So let's talk about both groups of branches one at a time. First, let's go in the order Jesus gives us here. Let's talk about the branches that don't bear fruit. It says the gardener takes away from the vine the branches that don't bear fruit. And so if we're going to go with the analogy here, then it's saying that God the Father, the gardener, takes away from the vine, Jesus, people who claim to be Christians but who have no spiritual fruit. Okay? So let me say that again. God the Father takes away from Jesus people who claim to be Christians but who have no spiritual fruit. So if a person claims to be a Christian but has no spiritual fruit in his or her life that proves that he or she is truly connected to Jesus, then that person is eventually taken away from Jesus and away from the branches that truly are connected to Jesus. The branches without fruit do not stay with the vine and do not stay with the fruitful branches. Now, you always have to be careful when analyzing metaphors in the Bible because it's easy to push metaphors too far. to try to. try It's easy to make them illustrate something. Maybe the metaphor wasn't intended to illustrate. You have to know when you read the New Testament what kind of literature that is. Revelation is apoc- uh, apocalyptic literature, which is very different from the Gospels, which are more biographical in nature, which is different from the Psalms that are poetic, different than... Books like Acts, which are narrative. But we're in the Gospels right now, and so we don't want to push the metaphor too far. Jesus used a lot of parables and metaphors to try to illustrate a point. So that being said, let's address two incorrect ways that a person could interpret what Jesus is saying here. First, a person could look at this metaphor and say, well, if the branch gets to stay on the vine and live because of the fruit it produces, then that's got to mean that people get to stay with Christ and live with him forever because of the good things they do in their life. Right? In other words, the argument is that people are ultimately saved by their good works. They're saved by the good fruit that they produce in their lives. That's not what Jesus is saying here. So do not take that excerpt out of the sermon and put that on YouTube, okay? What I just said. That's not what Jesus is saying here. If he were saying that here, then he would be contradicting what he says elsewhere throughout the entire Bible. That we are saved by God's grace alone through faith in Jesus alone. We're not saved by the good works we produce. Instead, the fruit and the branches is the evidence that a person is already truly connected to Jesus. The branches that don't have fruit prove that they aren't truly connected to the life-giving, fruit-producing power of Jesus. And so the fruit does not give life or promise life to the branch. Rather, the fruit is evidence that the branch already has the life of Jesus in it. And likewise... People who produce God-glorifying works in their lives are not saved by those works, by those fruit. Rather, those works, those fruit, are evidence that those people already have Jesus' life in them. And God, the gardener, saves those branches that are bearing good fruit because he knows that those branches are truly alive. A second way to interpret this metaphor incorrectly would be to say, well, all of these branches are connected to the vine, which is Jesus, and so that must mean that a Christian who stops bearing fruit in his or her life can be taken away from Jesus, can lose his or her eternal life. Again, I think that's pushing the metaphor too far, and the problem with that interpretation is that it contradicts so many of Jesus' other words. Remember, it was only a few chapters ago in John 10 that Jesus says in verses 28 to 29, I give my sheep eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who's given them to me is greater than all and no one's able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. In this metaphor, Jesus is not cutting off the branches that are truly connected to him, that truly have the eternal life of Jesus in them. Instead, Jesus is... Removing the branches that were never truly connected to him in the first place. John 15 and passages like Hebrew 6 indicate that there is a way for a person to be connected to the vine, Jesus, but to not truly have Jesus' life in them. You can be connected to God's church. You can be connected to youth group. You can be connected to God's people you can even be a member of a church and not truly have the eternal life of Jesus in you you can understand the Bible you can understand the gospel message of what God has done to save you you can know that Jesus was real you can believe that he was God even the demons believe that Jesus was God the New Testament says You can share powerful experiences with Christians, experiences of the Holy Spirit working powerfully among you. You can taste of the goodness of God's word. You can participate in the sacred ordinances of baptism and communion and still not truly have eternal life in Jesus. Why is that? Well, the way that God gives new life is by making us new when we trust the gospel of Jesus. And so the main reason why people are connected to the church, the main reason our people are connected to, the, to religion, but they aren't alive in Christ, is because they haven't ever really truly trusted Jesus. God hasn't given them eternal life. They haven't truly believed the gospel. They haven't truly believed that their sin separated you from God, that you need God. They haven't truly believed that Jesus came to earth, that he, was, he did this, he died on the cross as my sin substitute. He died the death that I should have died. He suffered God's wrath that I should have suffered and it would be due to me after this life on earth had he not suffered in my place. They haven't believed that he became the bridge. Jesus was the bridge to bring us back to God and that Jesus rose from the dead with eternal life and power and authority of God and victory. See, there's a difference between knowing facts and even knowing that facts are true and in totally uh, entrusting your livelihood and your soul to those facts. There's a difference between knowing a fact in your head and entrusting yourself entirely to those facts. That's what faith is, entrusting yourself to the facts. It's not enough to look at a chair and say, "Wow, that's that's a good-looking chair and that looks well built and that promises to hold a person for many hours." Faith is sitting in that chair and resting all of your body weight on that chair and trusting that chair to hold you up safely. That's faith. And faith in Jesus Always results, always, in good fruit. It always results in works done for Jesus' glory. You're not saved by these works that Jesus produces in your life. You're saved by Jesus, who you put your faith in. You're not even saved by the quality of your faith. Like you have a superior your faith is up here, but you know your spouse is down here, and you're saved by the object of your faith, Jesus. But the Holy Spirit of Jesus, this is what he does. When when God gives you faith in him, the Holy Spirit enters you, is what Jesus has just said in John 14. He, He enters you when you trust the gospel of Jesus. The Holy Spirit, in John 14, 17, Jesus says, the Holy Spirit dwells with believers and lives in them, okay? And with this Holy Spirit of Jesus in you, the Holy Spirit starts working right away to produce the works, the fruit of Jesus in your life. The the Spirit of Jesus has recreated you. This was his idea, to recreate you, to make you a new creation. And now his living power is flowing through you as a living organism. It's flowing through your mind. It's flowing through your heart. It's flowing through your, your soul so that now you will produce good fruit because he's gonna do it. He's gonna do it through you. He's gonna produce in you the fruit of the spirit. Love. Galatians 5, and 23. You lists the fruit of the spirit. Love, peace. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, Goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, all for the glory of God. What we're not talking about here is God will make you a nice person. I know a lot of nice people who don't trust in Jesus. We're talking about the fruit of the Spirit that originates in God, that God creates in you and does through you for the glory of Jesus. That's what's driving this whole thing. And you may be consciously aware of that, and you may be unconsciously aware of that. That's what these fr- that's what's different here. We want this fruit in our lives to bring glory to Jesus. And so, when Jesus describes the the branches that bear no fruit, he's not saying that a person is saved by his or her good deeds. He's not also describing Christians who lose their salvation. Instead, Jesus is describing the reality that God the Father takes away from Jesus people who claim to be Christians, but who really aren't. And their lack of fruit proves that. And the Father might take away fake branches, these fake branches very quickly from Jesus, or uh, these branches might remain on the vine until their dying breath. But eventually, God will take them away from Jesus. And this is one of the most apt descriptions of hell that we have, that Jesus describes in the New Testament. Hell is a place where people are taken, after this life, away from Jesus forever. They aren't even in the presence of people who love Jesus and never again will they experience the power of the Holy Spirit firsthand. They won't experience the sweetness of God's word and the promises that Jesus died for, to buy for his people and they won't experience true communion with God. When you look at your life and you look at what you live for, and you look at what brings you the most joy in your life, the most joy, and you think about what you want most in your life, and you think about how you spend your time and your money, and you think about how you speak to and behave toward your family and friends and other Christians and complete strangers, is it possible that you're a fake branch? Are you connected to God in a way because you hang out with Christians and you bring your kids to Sunday school and you try to do good things, but you know you really don't have any evidence in your life that Jesus is alive in you. Maybe you know about Jesus, but you also know that you aren't really trusting him. You're not trusting in the power of his life and death and resurrection to save you, or maybe you're only trusting him to save you. Well, I want the get out of hell free ticket. I want that. But I don't want to trust in Jesus to transform my life here on earth, to get rid of the junk of this world and to pursue Jesus. When you look at the fruit of the Spirit produced by Jesus in a true Christian's life for the joy and glory of God, do you see any evidences of this fruit in your own life? Do you see in your life an obvious love for God and for other people because Jesus loved you first? Do you see in your life joy in the Lord and joy in Jesus and in his gospel and in God's salvation? What he's done for you. Do you see in your life supernatural peace with God, this peace Of God that also guards your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus, and that this peace of Jesus in you that overflows into your relationships, that you don't want to do life with other people and treat other people the same way you did before you claimed to be a Christian. Do you see in your life kindness? Do you see kindness? The kindness of Christ, of Jesus, toward other people. Not meanness toward other people. Not coldness toward other people. But the kindness of Jesus overflowing from you. You see in your life, Jesus' patience working itself out in your life. Patience with yourself. Patience with others. As you acknowledge that God has been very patient and gracious with you. Do you see in your life the goodness of God that's nurtured in your heart? It's in this goodness of God that's nurtured in my mind and displayed through my thoughts and actions. I want to I produce good fruit for the glory of God and to bless other people. Do you see faithfulness in your life? Faithfulness to the Lord, faithfulness A growing ability to trust Jesus in all circumstances and trust that Jesus has already done everything to save you and and trusting that you are hidden in Jesus right now. and You want to be faithful to the Lord and and you're trusting in Jesus to help you persevere. Do you see in your life the gentleness of Jesus in the way that you treat people? Not harshly, not seeking to crush people or destroy people, but being gentle with others and desiring to see other people flourish and to see God's people flourish and to see other people know that God loves them? And do you see in your life self-control given by the Holy Spirit to increasingly say no to your flesh And everything your flesh wants you to do. Do you see the self-control from the Spirit more and more that gives you power to say no to the lies and temptations of the world and that gives you the power instead to say yes to trusting Jesus and to following him obediently with your life? These are the fruit of the Spirit that grow off the branches that truly have the life of Jesus flowing through them does any of this describe you? I'm not asking if you have perfect faith, because nobody does. I'm not asking if you have done enough good works to earn eternal salvation, because you haven't, and neither have I. I'm asking you if Jesus is working in and through you, and you can tell that he's working in and through you, and other people can too, because you're becoming more like Jesus, as he described in the word. Not the Jesus that we want him to be, but the Jesus of the Bible. And certainly we all have dry seasons when we don't feel as close to God as other times. We we have um, seasons where we're not as fruitful as other times. But even in the dry seasons, even in the hard times, there's going to be some fruit. Because the Holy Spirit hasn't left you the holy spirit's still in you the holy spirit's still working in you the spirit's always working inside true christians and producing fruit his fruit if after examining your own heart and your own life you realize that you're not in union or you think man i'm not in union with jesus then no, i will simply read to you what jesus says in mark 115 he says the time is fulfilled And the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So Jesus says four things here. First, the time of God's salvation has come. That means that Jesus died on the cross to take away your sin forever so that you can be friends with him, so that you can be reconnected to God intimately forever. The work is done, okay, on the cross. The kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus, the true vine, is right now alive. He's spreading all over planet earth. He's growing new branches that produce God-glorifying, life-giving fruit because those branches have the life and power of Jesus in them. Jesus says, repent. And that means change your mind about all of the junk that you've pursued in this world, all of the sin that God hates, all the things that you thought would bring you happiness but hasn't, and it won't ever truly satisfy you. Turn away from your rebellion against God in all of its forms. That should be your mindset. And believe in the gospel. So turn away from your sin and turn to Jesus. Trust in the gospel, trust that Jesus has come, that he has died so you don't have to, that he has risen from the dead to declare you not guilty in God's sight of your sins and to bring you with him to live with God in heaven forever. Believe that. When you truly repent from sin and trust in Jesus for the first time, the Holy Spirit immediately recreates you and begins to change you from the inside out. And you will produce his fruit Because, as Philippians says, it is God who works in you, both to will and to work according to his good pleasure. So what that means, it is God who works in you, both to give you the will, the desire to do anything God-glorifying, and the work, the ability, the power to do God's works for his good pleasure. And then every day after that, okay? Every day after Jesus saves you, what do you do? You continue to repent. You continue to turn away. Because this world, this stuff in our lives isn't going away, right? It's here. We live in it. We work in it. We continue, though, to turn away from our old way of viewing this world as our treasure and instead continuing to remind ourselves to trust in Jesus, to turn to him as the true life-giving vine, the true treasure who has given us real life, the true treasure who will sustain us forever, the true vine who has unending power. God has given you an opportunity today to repent and to believe in him. So I tell you, talk to him today like you would a friend. Tell him your desire. Tell him if you want to repent and believe if that's your desire. And he will save you. And if God saves you today, man, take communion with us after this sermon and celebrate Christ's blood and body that was given for you to bring you to God. And and after this service or this week, let us know that you're trusting in Jesus and that you want to be baptized soon. Because that's what Jesus told you to do, to celebrate what he's done for you and to proclaim, I'm a Christian and Jesus saved me. In John 15, 2, Jesus puts the branches in two categories, right? Branches that don't bear fruit and branches that do bear fruit. And we've talked about the branches that don't bear fruit. So let's see what Jesus says about the branches that do bear fruit. In Verse 2, Jesus says that God the gardener prunes the fruitful branches so that they may bear more fruit. Some of you in here are really into gardening. I thought of you this week as I was writing this. And you know better than I do, because I'm not a master gardener, that that when you have healthy branches, you don't simply leave them alone and hope they just keep doing their job. Instead, you, you actually do something kind of counterintuitive. You prune that good branch so that it can bear more fruit and so that it can bear better fruit. And so this tells us what God the gardener's goal is for us. He wants to fill us with his life and power so that we produce more and better fruit of the Spirit. And we'll continue to grow and continue to be shaped by God in a way that we can produce more fruit the more that we mature. God wants his fruit in your life. He wants more of it in you because he loves you. This means that God wants more joy for you. That's one of the fruit of the Spirit. Divine joy. And he's pruning you, he's pruning you in your life so that you can produce more joy that glorifies God. And God wants you to experience an abundance, an abundance of his love in, in your life. That's one of the fruit of the Spirit. And he's, he's pruning you in a way that will be most conducive to you knowing and giving away the love of God in your life. And you could say that about all the fruit of the Spirit and about every good thought and desire and deed that God brings about in your life. And he brings this maturity and fruitfulness in your life through pruning. So what does it mean that God prunes us? It sounds painful. What does it mean that God reduces us by removing parts that are necess- not necessary or wanted Well, when God prunes us, it often is painful. uh, He is cutting off parts of our lives that have grown onto us or out of us. And he cuts off these things because he is the perfect gardener who will produce his fruit in our lives and he will cut off every twig, every leaf that doesn't lead to us knowing him more intimately and producing more of his fruit in our lives. And sometimes God cuts off of us things that are detrimental to our spiritual health. Sometimes that's what he prunes. Maybe there is a sin or sinful behavior, a habit in your life that you're really attached to. You're addicted to something that's sinful. But if the Holy Spirit's in you, he's not going to let you embrace and enjoy that sin forever. Because our sin grieves God. Our sin grieves the Holy Spirit. And if the Holy Spirit's in us, if we're reading the Holy Spirit's Bible, the word of God breathed out, then we're gonna know what's good or bad for our spiritual health. And, And the Holy Spirit convicts us, convicts us of our sin. He tells us when we're doing things that are offensive to God. He will remind us of unconfessed sins or unrepentant sins in our life that are hurting our relationship with God and with other people. God uses his spirit to cut off anything that hinders us from knowing him and from obeying him and from trusting him and from enjoying him and from loving him and others like he's loved us. Just a little case study. Let's just take one sin. If you're truly a Christian and you have a bad habit of gossiping about people, then God is not gonna let you enjoy gossip and embrace gossip forever if you're really in him. Because you'll read scripture and you'll see how God hates gossip. You'll see how destructive it is to you and to your family and to everyone you know and to your community and to God's church and you're not gonna want that anymore. And if you ask the Lord to help you, the Holy Spirit's gonna help you increasingly more and more to think before you speak. So entrust yourself to God and he will free you from sins. Think about this. This is what Paul says. It is for freedom that Christ set you free. So stand firm and don't let yourself be enslaved again to a yoke of, of, of slavery. Sin, you, sin owned you. Sin was your yoke. Jesus took the yoke off. He broke it apart. Why are you going to pick up another yoke of sin and put it back on you? God cuts off these things that are detrimental to our health. And God also prunes us in order to make room for new new spiritual growth. And he often does this by allowing trials in our lives. Sicknesses, diseases, pain, sorrow, death, grief, trouble, heartache, Loneliness, divorce, depression, accidents and tragedies, poverty, all sorts of problems and humbling circumstances. God uses all of these things to prune us so that we can realize that he really is all that we need. And so that we will be stronger and better having gone through this. Now hear me right, God is not the creator of sin. And he does not wish evil for us. But God is redemptive. Okay? He redeems brokenness. He intends to take everything ordained for his children and to use those things to build us up. To build up our, our muscles of faith. To make us stronger as Kind of paradoxically, we depend on God in our own weakness. See, this is the way Paul says it. He says, in our weakness, God's strength is made perfect. His strength is brought to fruition in our weakness. And that's actually how our faith is made stronger. So that means don't think you have to be strong all the time. You're not as strong as you think you are. You might be prideful, (laughs) but you're not as strong in and of yourself as you think you are. Neither am I. We find our strength in Jesus. And as you walk through the various trials you're walking through, remember Jesus is with you and that his spirit is in you, he says, and he's going to redeem your brokenness. He's going to fill you with his strength even when you're weak. And as as he does this, as he gives you the power to keep going, to keep persevering, He's gonna build up your faith muscles that's gonna allow you to trust Jesus more and to enjoy him more. Hebrews 12, nine to 11 says, besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he, the father, disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful. All pruning seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So whatever trials you are walking through today, I hope you'll believe that God is working for your good in the midst of your trial. And in the midst of your trial, God wants you to share his holiness, is what he says here, And he wants you to experience closeness with him as you in your weakness depend on him and as at the same time his life and power flow into you and through your veins and God will produce through your trials his fruit in your life for your blessing and for his blessing and for the blessing of others. So Christians, you are not experiencing anything abnormal in experiencing trials, even the branches that truly belong to Christ are pruned. But rejoice, that's what Jesus says. That even in your pain, you belong to Jesus, okay? You have Jesus in you, he has given you life He has filled you with his life. You belong to him. His life, his power, his spirit is alive in you. It's working in you. It's yours now because he came to earth to get you. And it's because he died on the cross to take away your sin, to put that old self to death by suffering God's wrath in your place. It's because he rose from the grave so that you can know you really aren't guilty before God now because of Jesus, because of this true living vine that you are now united with forever by God's grace through faith in Jesus. Some of us here today claim to be Christians, but we are fake branches because God hasn't saved us and he's not working his power in us to produce his fruit. And some of us here today are fruitful branches in whom God's spirit really does dwell and is working in our lives. And some of us here might not claim to be either of these branches. Maybe we're connected to a vine that doesn't claim to be Christian at all. Well, whichever branch best describes you today, I'm, I'm thankful you're here, and God is thankful you're here, because this is the truth. God's word that we're reading, God's presence and God's people, is what you need to keep your eyes on what matters most. Today is a communion Sunday. And so those of us who trust in Jesus will celebrate our union with him by taking communion in a few minutes. Before we do that, though, I want to give us, all of us, no matter what kind of branch we might be, I want to give us a few minutes of silence just to talk to God. So there's a lot of meat here that we've worked through. But just to meditate for a minute on this and to talk to God and tell him whatever we need to at this time. And And the communion servers can come forward while we pray, but uh, let's just bow our heads for a moment of silent prayer and then I'll close us. Lord, you are the true vine, Jesus, and we confess that we are not worthy of you. We celebrate you, though, Lord, that you are life and that you have come to us to give us life. Lord, I thank you in your word for speaking clearly and strongly to us at times, God, so that we can Know the truth and be set free. Not so that we would fret and worry, am I really saved am I not really saved? It's not not what the gospel's about. You've done all the work to save us, God, but you want us to turn away from ourselves and turn away from our sin and to turn to you and trust in you and to be transformed by you. So Lord, we pray that you would forgive us for our sins that might be hindering our fellowship with you that we maybe haven't confessed. Please purify us from all unrighteousness. Please help us to celebrate this supper and to take it seriously, God, and to celebrate that you have made us connected to you, the true vine, and given us your life. We love you and pray this for your glory. Amen.